Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, and I'm a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. Hey, Darby, how's it going? It's going good. It's so funny as you were talking, I was thinking about how we have this little unwritten, established switch back and forth of the roles <laughs> in our intro. And I'm like, okay, now Melissa's going to say something. And I know we hit like a groove. I like it. Yeah, me too. Well, speaking of the groove, it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't address the weather. And I, I will have a disclaimer. Zach and I uh, later in the episode talked quite extensively about the awesome weather we're having up here in Humboldt, but sounds like it's not going to be so awesome in the valley this week, Darby. Yeah, I hope you all enjoy your awesome weather. You deserve it after your foggy summer, but we're looking at a continued at least I think around a week of like 110 down here in Hanford and we had some like strange clouds and some little drips of rain yesterday actually which was humid and kind of weird but a nice break but now we're really gearing up because it's going to get hot. Yeah I guess the good news is any corn that's not harvested is going to get a last good shot of heat before harvest day comes but I think the other good news is dairymen will be hibernating inside from the heat. So maybe uh, we'll have a lot of dairymen to talk to as they work on little little things here and there that they've been maybe putting off all summer. I agree. I think it already started this morning. I've gotten a couple that are in the office trying to go over things and get ready for the fall. It's it's coming fast for sure. So we're here. We're ready for your calls. Wait. We haven't been exactly bored, I wouldn't say, but it has, I've noticed this week, and I don't know, Darby, if you've noticed the same, it has slowed down a little bit on our end. And I think people are just out trying to get the last of the summer chores done, but. I agree. I think quieter. people are trying to take advantage of the good weather before, before it kind of rolls out. Well, speaking of rolling out, I think we have a pretty good episode to roll out today. Um, Annie brings us another market update, more crazy PPD talk. I mean, that's just really going in a direction we didn't expect. Um, then we have Anya. You spoke with Anya for a few minutes about some Sacramento updates. Yep, we talked about AB 2959 and another assembly bill that we're looking at. And then we also covered everybody's favorite update topic, quota. And then I had a chance to talk with one of our delegates up on the North Coast, Zach Cahill, for a few minutes. And we'll wrap up this week's episode with a tag team interview you and I did with John Talbot and Genji Ambroni from CMAB with some exciting rollouts. Yeah, it made me quite hungry for a snack during that interview. I know. I have my cheese plate sitting right next to me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of cheese, maybe we should jump over to Annie for our market update. Well, here's another week of market update. It is already mid-August, and if things look like they were getting real, the PPD last month, uh, when it hit negative $7.91, things got even more real this week because um, USD announced the PPD for July at negative $9.82 um, in LA. And so this is a really... Um, big PPD. And the reason for that is because the gap between class three and class four is even wider in July than it was in June. And so the class three price in July was announced at $24.54. So while the PPD might look um, 
you know, it's a big number. It's negative. It's going to be a big, big deduction. But overall, it still looks like everybody's milk check should be a little higher than where it was in June. And, you know, June was higher than May. And so we're making some progress in terms of where uh, the milk check is going. And that gap between class three and class four should dampen as we get into August because the cheese price, the USDA cheese price, has slowly started to come down. And so this week we lost 10 cents um, you know, down from last week. So our, uh, currently our USDA block cheese is at 265. So still, you know, pretty good price level, but that being said, that price direction will keep going as we get in the next few weeks because the CME spot price keep going down. So if we look earlier this week, we were at $1.58 per pound on the block price. Fortunately, since then, it's come up a little bit. CME spot is um, $1.70 per pound. So we've, we're seeing a lot of volatility on the cheese price. And I think we overshot where it went when we reached you know $3 a pound a month ago. And then it went down $1.50 range. Obviously undershot where it should be. So hopefully we get closer to a little bit more of an equilibrium. But overall, um, some softening of the cheese price will be coming to USDA prices as they catch up to CME price. If we look at the USDA butter price, it increased a little bit, um, but not really a sign of a new trend. If we look at um, this week, we dropped 2.85 cents on USDA price. So, you know, last week went up, this week lost a little bit. The CME price continues to go down now, and ultimately that's what seems to be driving where USDA prices are going. And so now CME butter price went all the way to um, the $1.47 earlier this week, down to $1.45 actually as of today. So we've been losing some value on butter and the USDA price has maybe like a 20 cent downward to catch up with that price movement. Um, overall, we did get some uh, trade data this week, uh, last week, but we didn't, we didn't really talk about it. It's never really been that impressive lately for butterfat trade, but it did improve in June. So if we look at the exports, they were up 10% year over year and the highest monthly volume since February. So that's good news. Not quite enough to offset butterfat imports because they were up by an even larger number. They were up 47% year over year. So that balance, we're importing a lot more butter these days than we're exporting. And even when we look at the exports, that percentage, you know, how much it matters to how much we produce in the U.S. If we look January to June 2020, butterfat exports were only 2.3% of the total production. So overall, not a really big um, portion of butter like it is for uh, powder dry whey, for example. If we look at dry whey in June, the exports represented 47% of total production. So when there's an improvement, like we did, we saw in dry whey in June, uh, dry whey exports were up 42% year over year. That matters a little bit more uh, to that commodity is uh, bottom line. So we, the price has been pretty steady on dry whey. We lost 0.33 cents this week, still uh, nearing the 35 cents a pound range. Uh, finally, USDA is not federal milk price movement. It's been really quiet. It kind of goes up and down, very small increments lately. Uh, same with this week, the USDA, the USDA price went down just point uh, went up 0.21 cents, so we're just at 91 cents a pound. If we look at the CME price, it was nearing the dollar range, and now it's been going down a little bit, but um, settling, um, you know, in that upper 90 cents a pound uh, range, and so specifically, um, it went down to 94 cents a pound earlier, but now it's at 97 cents a pound. So really small range. Um, it, it seems like the powder price wants to go up, but uh, crossing that dollar threshold has been a little bit 
uh, tricky. So this concludes the market update for this week. So until next week, thanks for listening. Hey, thanks, Annie, for another great market update this week. Now we'll move right into Darby's interview with Anya regarding a couple of exciting things that are going on in Sacramento this week. All right, I'm here with Western United's own CEO, Anya Radabaugh, and we are going to talk about some things that are happening in different spheres of Sacramento, but kind of all up in Sacramento. How are you today, Anya? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. It's always good to come on when we've got some wins on the docket. Exactly. We like to share those too. We do. We usually bring bad news, but um, today we bring quite a bit of good news. And speaking of good news, um, we're going to talk about a couple of bills that are kind of circulating around up in Sacramento. First, if you could give us an update on AB 2959, and then we'll roll into talking about AB 890. Absolutely. So AB 2959 um, has uh, become a, a very large lightning bolt for activity on our membership side, and we're very appreciative of folks' engagement. Uh, it's a real pleasure to be able to work in a grassroots industry where when you mobilize and ask people for help, particularly in killing something, that it works. And so AB 2959 this year, despite the governor's mandate of only moving bills forward that had to do with the coronavirus pandemic, wildfire or homelessness, um, this was a bill that was sponsored by large-scale franchise hauler companies, uh, for example, Recology and Republic Services. And the legislation introduced would have given these companies and others the right, the exclusive right to transfer byproducts in the jurisdiction that they serve. Um, and uh, that included upcycling byproducts, food waste, like citrus pulp, uh, cottonseed, almond holes, almond shells, and that's really where it landed on the dairy industry's radar. So at the time, um, nothing ensured that these franchise holder, haulers would actually perform this service. Uh, like we've been traditionally contacting with uh, feed companies or other third parties to um, purchase those, for example, almond holes. And we suspect that many small and medium-sized dairies, particularly those furthest from the food manufacturer themselves, would never be served under this bill and would have been left with no options to source these byproducts. So under the bill's provision, a dairy farmer couldn't direct a manufacturer or retailer to set aside any food byproducts that would be allowed for that farmer or service contractor, for example, like a feed company, to pick those byproducts up at a later date. And so the resulting policy would tie the hands of dairy farmers who are either performing the function themselves like if they have a trunking company, or working with a byproducts contracting service to supply that feed. This bill we felt was um, a real disaster for how we work in California. And additionally, uh, Dr. Frank Mittloner weighed in and indicated that that would have really increased GHG emissions because those products most likely would have found their way to a landfill as opposed to being upcycled by our cows. Um, the bill, just to give folks a little bit of background, because this continues to come up in our social media channels and a lot of exasperation, I think, in the ag side. Like what, you know, what were they trying to accomplish and lots of, you know, wonderful colorative expletives about Sacramento. <laughs> I think that um, it's really important that people recognize the bill, I think, had a good policy start. Last year, Assemblymember Ben, uh, um, Ken Cooley introduced 3030, AB 3030, which um, helped cities and municipalities quantify their GHG reductions. 
because up to that point, um, whenever you build a SQL project in California, or if you have to follow or comply with CEQA, one of the things that you have to do is adhere to lowering your GHG emissions. And so cities were like, great, we want to build these housing projects, but we don't know how to quantify those reductions. And so these franchise haulers came on the scene and said, well, we can do that for you. We can take your waste and we can, you know, give it to composting facilities or we can do X, Y, or Z. But for every pound of said byproduct waste, you'll get this many pounds in GHG reduction. That was the theory. Um, only once the bill passed out last year, and it is passed, it is, it is law, um, there were a lot of gray areas, particularly around how our rendering companies handle their products, um, how dairy farmers and farmers in general and food manufacturers, that was the real kicker in this, in this language is when they said all byproducts associated with food manufacturing. That's what really we knew was kind of the death knell and, and brought us firmly into this policy, this policy fold and this fight. So the good news is um, after quite a bit of um, hemming and hawing and there were some massive transactions that occurred on Monday evening between Western United Dairies, California Farm Bureau Federation and the bill's uh, Senate author, which is Senator Ben Allen, um, he decided that there was overwhelming evidence, particularly on the climate side, to pull the bill for consideration from his committee. And what that means is he's agreeing to set aside the bill for now, for 2020, um, in hopes that by 2021, we will all have worked out our collective differences. And I see some wins there. Um, it's really important for people to recognize that we are going to be vigilant and this bill is not going to go away. But um, it was a win for us this year in convincing the author that this is a big enough issue for farmers in California that we have to at least hit the pause button. Yeah, it's nice to see even if even if we know this is maybe going to come back around, at least we have a win this year. I think everybody can um, take a little sigh of relief, but I think it is important that you point out that some of these things are issues that we have to continually monitor and Western continually works to stay on top of. Yeah. And when we ask for a call to action from our members and their, um, oh, we had a tremendous amount of engagement from their feed companies uh, they wrote to us and said, hey, please let my senator know that we oppose this. Um, the, it's really nice to see that that work paid off and that people who took the time to raise their voices uh, were able to, you know, really have the author listen to our concerns and work with us on the legislation. That usually doesn't happen. And I will say um, I credit a lot of this question to a collaborative effort within agriculture. Um, Oftentimes, ag groups tend to beat their own drum and go off in their own direction because, let's face it, we're all really desperate to claim credit and get a win, and I understand that. I will not say I'm innocent in trafficking in that, but at the same time, um, we are such a small, marginalized group in the legislature in terms of how our issues are um, evaluated and managed. We really only can kill, suspend, hold, get authors to work with us when we are 100% together. And so I would certainly like to thank our, our partners over at the California Farm Bureau Federation, California um, Ag Council, Ag Council of California, excuse me, California Feed and Grain Association and California Grocers Association, who um, collectively those uh, business units really came in with the full might of the ag lobbying power. And we did our job. 
It's always nice to see unity in the industry and amongst kind of inner industries wherever we can find it. Yeah, I think that um, there's often not that much unity, even on the dairy side, but in this case, we were able to build a really successful coalition and um, work side by side. And I think that next year, given that the bill was only pulled and not killed, um, we will see this bill again, that is undoubtedly the case, and we will need to work collaboratively to make sure that we can modify and amend the bill to exempt byproducts fed to animals. And I think that that will solve all of our problems. It may not solve all the problems for the grocers. Uh, that's something that I think they're very concerned about their costs going up right now. So are we. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that, that initial collaboration has been um, very productive. Well, great. Thank you. Um, it's always nice to give an update again on some good news. And could you also talk about Western's position and support of AB 90, what that bill is and where that bill stands? Absolutely. So um, AB 890 is uh, what I would put into a category of non-traditional ag, um, ag collaboration. Uh, 890 essentially helps uh, the rural areas in California gain access to primary care uh, healthcare issues. So in particular, and I'll just focus on the Central Valley, but this is very real up in Mendocino County, Sonoma County, Humboldt County. Um, anybody that's ever been to Garberville would completely understand where this bill comes from. Essentially, it allows... Um, primary care to be expanded into nurse practitioners. So nurse practitioners uh, follow a very rigorous set of guidelines. They're not physicians. What the bill does is it endows them after a certain amount of training and licensing with the same primary care abilities as physicians have. Because these rural areas, and now I'm switching back to the valley, if you think about Fireball, have a challenge bringing in physicians to those communities. They usually can't pay very well. Physicians that are just coming out of medical school usually have a half million dollars in debt load. Um, they need salaries that are commensurate with their ability to pay off their debt and raise a family. And most of our rural areas cannot serve any kind of physician that comes in off the streets. And so we have a shortage of primary care physicians. And so this bill allows nurse practitioners uh, to essentially fill that role for rural communities. Obviously, there are different rules that are in place uh, when, when we're talking about a medical care that I'm not gonna delve into, but you know, access to penicillin, access to basic medical checkups, access to, um, I don't know, COVID testing. These are all real issues on the rural scene that we have zero access to right now. And yet we're on the essential front worker line. And so um, there's a terrible disparity. And so when the bill author, Assemblymember Jim Wood, asked for Western United's help in this regard, it made a lot of sense for us to come on board. And we were able to work with our Valley delegation to pass uh, AB 890 out of the Senate committee that it was in and we're really looking forward to seeing it on the full Senate floor in the next couple of weeks because rural access to primary care is woefully inadequate and this bill addresses that. So that was another big win for us and our partners this week. 
I would agree. I think that's a pretty exciting bill to be looking at. I know I uh, waited about a month for COVID test results, so I would <laughs> be happy to see some, some more accessibility for rural health care. Well, and it also really works to keep healthcare costs down. Um, I mean, as we have, um, particularly on the private sector side, seen healthcare costs go up about 400% in seven years, um, this bill really tries to bring some relief to addressing those rising costs. So um, I really hope that it works. Um, I, it's close to my heart coming out of Merced County. We have a continued shortage of physicians, despite the fact that um, our assembly member, Adam Gray's worked to try to build a medical school there. It's just not as enticing as some of the tier one markets like San Francisco, San Diego, LA, um, to bring in those, those primary care physicians. Exactly. Well, kind of switching gears here and still staying in the Sacramento realm, um, can you give us an update? I know you love to discuss an update of quota. So CDFA denied the motion to reconsider the decision on the Chapter 3.5 hearing this week. Can you kind of just give us an overview of that decision and maybe what that means? Yeah, and if you listened to our podcast last week, Annie went through um, the decision of the administrative law judge to suspend Chapter 3.5 of the Food and Ag Code. And for brevity, because I tend to work in brevity on quota, uh, this was the request that would essentially allow StopQuip to run a referendum with lower voting thresholds than are there today. So instead of the 65% of voting producers representing 51% of the milk, or it can also be flipped, but it essentially lowered that threshold to a simple majority, you know, what, whoever votes of that voting populace, 51% carries the day, yes or no. And so the ALJ, the Administrative Law Judge, heard every, all the evidence and he recommended that the Secretary not hold a referendum under those conditions. And so Stop Quit filed motion to reconsider the ALJ's decision. In their own documents, they stated very clearly that they knew this was way out of the norm of the Administrative Procedures Act. There was really no law governing this. Um, and we weren't really sure where CDFA was going to take that. But uh, I think in their fastest response that's ever been done in the history of CDFA, they actually issued um, um, a letter back to Stop Quip this week, which is on our website that says um, the agency's procedures do not allow for reconsideration. And in any event, because petitioner has not presented any ground for reconsideration, your motion is denied. So um, that does not mean that the secretary as of today will or will not accept the ALJ's recommendation. She still has discretion to do that. But um, I believe that the secretary wanted the ALJ's motion or excuse me, recommendation. So she would feel a little bit uh, more comfortable and more uh, secure in making her recommendation. But um, interesting things about uh, at least the, the legal precipice that's been set now, both in Chapter 3.5 and then recently in Chapter 3.0, where the Sacramento Superior Court judge denied Stop Quip's um, petition to eliminate quota, to terminate quota there, um, is that now we have a set of legal precedents that have been set on the 2017 uh, Quip law that was not there before that. So um, for better or worse, all lawsuits moving forward, and I'm pretty certain there will be more of them, um, will have a, a binding legal precedent that any judge now and thereafter will probably go back and read both of these decisions 
to make their decision. And so that's something that was not available before. Um, and it certainly puts a little bit more rules on the chessboard than were available two weeks ago. It's just another, as Annie and I talked about last week, kind of sliding piece of the quota puzzle to keep track of. Yeah, although I'd say these pieces are, are soldiers down now. They're, yeah. um, you know, the, the decision that producers will be making, um, which was the preservation of their choice, the preservation of their vote, which is what Western's board has been behind from the beginning, uh, continues to see that that's what will rule the day um, and not a judge. And I think that that's really important. Uh, quota will be changed or go out the same way that it was voted in and the producers will be in control of that. And I think that that's a fair, a fair thing moving forward. Well, thank you so much for the update, Anya. As always, we really appreciate having you on and having you touch base on important topics that tend to happen in a fairly timely manner. So thanks again. My pleasure. Thanks, Darby. All right, well, I'm really excited to introduce the next interview between Zach Cahill and Melissa. Zach was in my Dairy Leaders class and he was the lone boy in our group. So we had a really good time with him and I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. Thanks, Darby. As Darby mentioned, I'm here with our member and District 10 delegate, Zach Cahill from Ferndale. How's it going, Zach? It's going good. It's a beautiful summer day here in Ferndale. I know one of our two 75 plus days of the year that we get, it's, it's happening today. <laughs> yeah, I know. The sun broke out before 10 o'clock and the sweatshirt came off early. So those our friends in the valley are probably a little jealous of the cool weather that we usually get. I know. Darby and I have a little back and forth usually about the weather reports and there's a stark difference between Hanford and Ferndale, but we're, we're getting a little closer this week, I guess. So Zach, thanks for being on today. I'm just wondering if we could have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about Zach and Cahill Dairy and how your family farm works and a little bit about your production methods. Yeah, of course. So dad started out on his own about 25 years ago. Um, he bought out a family friend's herd and grew the herd some, moved to a different ranch and grew it some more and moved to a different place. And now we're at our our final place here in, in Ferndale. And we're milking about 500 jerseys. We have about 500 total in the herd. We are a organic operation. We ship our milk to Rumiano cheese. Um, you know, our cows are out on pasture 360 days a year, bearing extreme weather. So we're a little unique in the sense that we have a moderate climate. Cow cows are out on pasture year round. Um, and dad and I have been working together since I, since I, got done with my college at Chico State. That was a few years ago. And now me and dad manage the dairy together. And, uh, you know, a young guy like me can't ask for anything more. <laughs> and Zach, so you and, and your wife Kayla are pretty active in the farm, but also you're pretty active off the farm in a lot of different organizations. Do you want to just give us a, like a brief update on some of the other kind of extracurricular things you're a part of in the dairy industry? 
Yeah, well, I guess I'll start with my better half. She is a special ed teacher at Fortuna High School, and she coaches softball. Um, she's This is her second year teaching, and she's just real proud to be a teacher at the local high school. And for me, uh, you know, I, I take pride in our dairy, but with that, I know it's not about just showing up and going to work other day, every day. There's different committees and there's different things to do that support our community and our industry as a whole. Um, one of those, one committee I'm on is our local RCD board. I am on the soil health committee and I am also, I guess I would be the lead director or the lead chairman for our dairy, our dairy committee. And the soil health and the dairy committee kind of go hand in hand. Uh, you know, we are working on setting up some pasture clubs where we've met with different dairymen to talk about uh, farming practices, grazing practices, irrigation management, things of that nature. Uh, just, there's just, I think that's something that's real important that we all can kind of share and learn from each other. Um, so that's, that's a real reason why I decided I wanted to be involved on our local RCD board because if somebody's going to be, if somebody's going to have to make the decisions, I want to be someone who I know can speak for our industry and can have a good relationship with everyone who it affects here locally. One other organization that I'm involved with is WAPA, which is the Western Organic Dairy Producers Alliance. When I was in college at Chico State, the administration there, they were involved with the organization um, and being where I'm an organic producer, I thought, well, this glove fits and I'm going to be involved just to stay into tune what's going on in our industry and uh, kind of hear what's going on across the whole West Coast and see what kind of issues there are that we can collaborate on and see if there's some things that we can do to help protect our organic industry. So I've been on that board for oh, three years now, I think. Um, and we have a couple of different unique situations that we're working on. Um, but once again, it just comes back to being able to work together with members of our industry and try to collaborate so that we can speak as a voice and that, that way we can try to control our destiny to a certain extent. Absolutely. And we sure appreciate you, Zach, also as a delegate um, for Western United Dairies and your participation there. And it's it's really great that we can work. Uh, we work closely with all of those other organizations you mentioned and having you as kind of the person that can go between all of those organizations has certainly been really helpful in the work that we're doing. So great job on being a young guy that's active and involved in the greater dairy community. I Right, and maybe, maybe I just this was a, a given that I should have I should have mentioned, but I am a, a delegate for our for our region with uh, Western United. Um, I was a part of the dairy leaders trip that Western United put on, and I guess I just want to say that I can't really appreciate the opportunity that Western United gave to the the six or seven of us young dairy leaders that were able to go to DC, Sacramento, Modesto, and actually learn about all different aspects of our industry that Western United uh, fights for. Um, 
as a matter of fact, just today I had a couple of friends from the Central Valley. They came up and I was able to connect with them. And I got to hear about the good things that they're doing down in down in the Central Valley. Um, and so that's one other perk that I would really attribute from people and find some commonalities that we can communicate on. You know, I'm already reaping the benefits just from the friends the different um, experiences that that's kind of part of the whole web of all these um, boards I'm on and whatever else I may be I may be involved with is that you know I get to bring a little bit of information from every experience I have in order to help fight for our industry and help educate people on all the good things that we're doing as California dairymen. Great, Zach. Well, this year has been probably a little bit different for your dairy as every dairy and a lot's been going on. I'm just wondering if you could briefly talk to us about how your farm is adjusted or if you have advice for other producers about how to handle all the changes. Right, so we are very lucky that up here in Humboldt County, we've been a pretty low risk area. We don't have, we haven't had a large spike in cases so navigating COVID hasn't been extremely stressful. Um, but for example, we did have one, one episode with an employee who traveled out of the area and had a routine doctor's visit. Um, and he didn't show any signs or symptoms and the doctor just automatically quarantined him for two weeks which really put us in a bind because it was one of our one of our main milkers and we really relied on him. And so naturally I just reached out to Western United and said, hey, I have a healthy employee who wants to work and really needs to be at work because we rely on him and he relies on us. And I said, you know, what do I what do I do? And Western referenced us to Anthony Raimundo's office, which was our, uh, it was a free call, which was great because I was really stuck between a rock and a hard spot. And the information that they, that they gave to me on how to navigate the whole process about keeping him employed and how to deal with the doctor's visits was very helpful. Uh, you know, we took extra precautions. We did temperature checks for all the employees. We were very stringent on making sure that they were wearing masks. And we were just very open about, about if, how, how their health was, if they, if anyone they lived with was getting sick, if there was any red flags that came up, we really encouraged that all employees just let us know and that we would err on the, on the safe side. And they were all very diligent about, you know, letting me know what was going on. And thankfully, my one employee that was quarantined, he, he was healthy. He never showed any signs or symptoms. And we've really kind of been strolling on without a hitch, which despite everything else going on, you really sit back and count your blessings when things go good. Absolutely. And you guys have been very good about you know, enforcing, you know, a strict code of conduct with employees as far as hygiene and COVID-19 go. And then I think also just, you know, 
showing your employees that you guys are also taking those precautions and just setting an example. So that's always helpful. And I, I noticed that with a lot of our dairies and when we have little issues, like we obviously are going to where an employee might show up with some symptoms or might test positive. We're able as an industry so far to really um, limit the contact and limit the spread on our farm. So that's, that's really good and you know, good on you guys for really taking the initiative and setting the example there. So Zach, besides the COVID and market roller coasters dairy's been experiencing the last six months, in the midst of all that, what I really wanted to talk about today was a huge project your family has taken on this year, um, something pretty exciting for dairies in our valley. Can you tell us a little bit about what's happening on your farm this summer? Yeah, so we got approved for an AMP project that we started construction on a couple months ago. With our AMP project, we are putting in one new barn and retrofitting another. So once the project is complete, we will have two compost barns. Instead of our standard sand bed freestall, store manure in the pond and pump it out in the spring, um, we're gonna be able to compost every day and use that as bedding, which is pretty slick. Um, it'll save us on fuel emissions, greenhouse gases. And um, it's also, we are also the first ones in our region to implement one. So people are kind of curious how it's going to play out because people are concerned about our weather, if it'll get hot or dry enough for it to work and just all the different aspects that go into managing a compost barn. Um, Dad and I have been to a couple different seminars and have met with a few people who have implemented these compost barns. Um, and so we'll actually be done with construction and have cows in them towards the end of the year, hopefully by October before it rains. And then it's gonna be, I'm sure it'll be a learning curve, but just throughout the people that we've connected with over the past few months about management and how to really get our, our bedded compost rolling. Um, we're, we're excited because, because we're gonna be able to reduce our labor, reduce our greenhouse emissions, increase cow comfort. There's really a whole host of benefits of this project that we're gonna be able to reap once it's fully implemented. And we, uh, you know, it's kind of a learning curve because you're still dealing with um, some bureaucratic, um, not, I wouldn't say issues, but we've, um, you know, there's just been a lot of communication and we, we've learned, we've been learning that construction management is not the same as managing a dairy, which I think uh, that has had a, a few hiccups in the way, along the way, but, you know, we've, our contractors have been good to us and it's uh it's been a real exciting time it's been a real busy summer but i think every summer is a busy summer if you ask a dairyman <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and I, there's on those projects a lot of boxes to check so i think bureaucratic issues is probably a good way to describe it just making sure you're doing everything the people that are you know granting the money want as well as being able to complete the project efficiently and you know, within parameters that make sense on your dairy is probably a, a little bit of a headache, but hopefully it's, you're getting through all those issues and it's 
going to be an exciting thing when it's up and running this winter. Yeah, you know, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't label it as a headache because it is really exciting. Um, you know, we're very grateful for the opportunity that we, that we got to do this. And it is important because if, you know, if the state of California is, really wants to fight climate issues and they're going to regulate us on it, then they kind of need to put their money where their mouth is, which they are doing mm -hmm. by helping us and helping the industry get to, get to their goal. And so, you know, I, I think, I think dairymen are just, I mean, society as a whole kind of likes to point the finger and say, oh man, we're getting hammered with these regulations and, uh, you know, and it's a pain to follow. But it is, it is encouraging to see that California is actually putting their money where their mouth is. And, you know, instead of just giving us some guidelines and telling us to follow, you know, they're actually helping us get there. So, you know, hats yeah. off to everybody involved who's able to who's able to allocate money and then get this project implemented. For sure. Well, Zach, anything else you'd like to add for our listeners today? Any advice, encouragement, or anything you'd like to shout out to our listeners? Oh, gosh. I mean, you know, I, for me, I think the biggest advice that I could give would just to be to step back and really enjoy and appreciate the lifestyle that we have because there's long days there's stressful times but at the end of the day when you can walk out and see your cows on pasture or you know I get to work side by side with my dad and make management decisions and you get to have a sense of pride in, in what you do every day just really encouraging I mean don't get me wrong I get caught up in the rat race of trying to stay on top of everything and stressed out about <laughs> life on the farm but we really are lucky to be able to live the life we do and uh and you know for me i i wake up every do every day and i do what i love and i'm surrounded by healthy friends and family and the, and the tight-knit community that's always there to support each other so being uh being a young a young guy in this industry i'm i'm real excited to spend the next 30 40 years of my life being able to to keep on doing what we're doing well i have to say zach you and especially your dad i always appreciate i know if i'm having a long day or there's a lot going on and i have to give a call to the cahills i'll usually you know walk away with a smile and you guys always have a positive outlook and you're right. I don't know how you do it some days, but you do. And we'll have to get Chris on one of these days. I think he'd be a fun interview if he'll, if he'll be willing to talk on the podcast. But thanks for just being a, a positive lightning rod in this industry. I think we all need that. It is tough. So keep it up. Right. Well, and the same to you guys. I mean, we can't really speak enough for all the work that you guys do behind the scenes, whether it's, whether it's, water quality board meetings or you know fighting with for you know i mean trying to navigate the whole quota issue you know you you got you guys uh, have your work cut out for you but you know whenever we call you guys answer and i just it's a testament to all the all the good guys that you guys have working for you and uh you know we're just proud to be western united members well, thanks so much, Zach. And again, thanks for jumping on today. I know it's a busy time of year, but we really appreciate you and all your hard work on behalf of Western and just all these different industry groups that you step up and take part in. 
And we're going to jump over now to Darby and I's visit with John Talbot and Jen Giambroni of the California Milk Advisory Board. Thanks, Zach. Have a good one. Thanks, Melissa. You too. Today, we have a very special guest on our show. We are so excited to have John Talbot of the California Milk Advisory Board and Jennifer Giambroni. And John and Jen are here today to talk to us a little bit about the new exciting rollout CMAB did last week for their snack accelerator. So I guess we'll start out, John, welcome. First of all, thanks for joining us on the podcast. And maybe you could just share a little bit about first yourself and your role at CMAB, and then we'll jump right into the rollout. Okay, well, uh, personally, um, my background is mostly consumer products marketing. Um, I worked at Procter & Gamble and Pepsi-Cola and a couple other places like that. And then I've been in agriculture the last 10 years or so. And um, the last six of which has been here at CMAB, um, which, you know, our focus in life is really all about driving demand for dairy products made with real California milk. It's pretty simple. And uh, two basic buckets of activities. Uh, one is on the marketing communication side, and the other one is on, more on business development side, which is trade and uh, international and that kind of thing. But uh, uh, all kinds of different activities to, again, help drive demand for dairy products. Well, thanks for that little bit of background. Um, again, we're really excited to have you today. And as we kind of get started here, can you tell us a little bit about this exciting rollout of the Snack Accelerator, which, if I'm being honest, is one of the most fun words I've gotten to say at work in quite a while. Maybe just about the project, its history, et cetera. Sure, sure. Well, this is year two, actually, for us um, with this idea of doing an innovation contest, if you will. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story how it got started. Um, about a year ago, um, Bob Carroll, who runs our business development, I think has been on your show before, um, was at a, a district meeting of dairy farmers. And uh, in a conversation with uh, Luciana Jonkman, um, they started talking about this idea of doing a, a shark tank type of program for milk in that that might help invigorate, you know, the category and uh, with some new news out there around product, um, maybe that would be the kind of thing to help, you know, spur on the, the general category. And uh, Bob came to me the next day all excited about this. And uh, it's so funny because literally just like the week before, I had met a guy at a conference who does this kind of work. Um, and his firm is called Venture Fuel. And they basically help connect startups with larger companies that need innovation help. And so we connect in uh, Venture Fuel uh, with CMAB and put together this idea for doing an innovation contest. And last year was all about uh, milk. It was all, all about products that had to use fluid milk uh, as the base. And uh, we were a little concerned last year that we might not get enough entries to really make a go of it, um, but we're really pleasantly surprised. We got 38 entries, and from that, we picked nine finalists. In fact, we had such a hard time. We were going to just do eight finalists, but we couldn't <laughs> make the final call, and so brought all these nine finalists together, and they sampled their products. 
uh, to a panel of judges, kind of all a Shark Tank. It was, you know, loosely following that theme. And they got questioned and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then we ended up picking a winner. And that winner, Bears Nutrition, is just in the process right now of launching their first product. And there's even a second one that we're hoping uh, will make it to market. But of those nine original finalists, um, there are another seven that we're still working with. So again, we're hoping to get even more of these products eventually to market. So that was, that was last year. And again, we're still working with uh, several of these firms and, and trying to get their products to market. But so we decided we'd change the theme a little bit this year to be a little more focused on snacking and thus the name Snack Accelerator, which you like. Um, and we like as well. And there's, there's a lot of good reasons for that. And uh, not the least of which is snacking is become a real thing. 95% uh, of adults say they snack at least once a day. And this is amazing. And I just saw these stats the other day uh, relative to COVID. And uh, when you look at uh, this past few months versus the prior year, uh, the percent of adults having a morning snack went from 61% to 75%. And those having an afternoon snack went from 65% to 91%. So again, there is tremendous demand now for snack foods and dairy fits in very naturally, very perfectly uh, with this category, um, just in and of themselves. Dairy products make great snack foods, but we're hoping through the Snack Accelerator to generate a lot of interesting new ideas uh, in terms of ways to use, whether it's milk or cheese or yogurt, uh, in a variety of ways to create new snack foods. And again, the nice thing is that dairy also lends kind of a healthy halo to these snacks. So again, we're very excited uh, about the upcoming contest. Uh, we've just released uh, the announcement uh, a few days ago, and um, we're hoping that uh, by the, uh, the finals, which will be, I believe, November 12th, uh, that we'll have some great ideas to, uh, to pick from. Well, I know I'm definitely guilty of snacking in both of those categories during quarantine. It seems like that's all I do some days. And I think, you know, I always grab a, a cheese snack. Um, it's just, you're right, it does give a halo of health. I just feel good about it when I'm eating, you know, cheese versus the tons of candy I sometimes find myself getting into. But, um, you know, that's been kind of a, a, a new trend during COVID. And I think we, we can all relate to that. Um, so speaking of COVID, can you talk a little bit about how the snack accelerator process might look a little different this year because we have to consider social distancing and that's a lot of logistics to go into a project like this. Yeah, no, and I tell you, uh, last year's live event final uh, was really wonderful. I, it was one of the most high energy dairy events I've, I've ever been to. And there was just so much excitement. Um, and I think again, because it was live and because we got to taste the product and compare ideas and compare thoughts and then have each of the, the, the businesses present their product and, and their concept. 
and uh, and that was that was wonderful. Um, and we've been very concerned about how do we replicate that uh, this year, given as you suggest the the limitations of our our COVID world these days. But we've got some interesting ideas. And even though it will be a virtual event, it will not be a okay. live event. Um, we are going to con- we will still get the products to the judges. So the judging panel, at least, will still be able to taste the product. And each of the entrants will still have their, you know, whatever it is, eight or 10 minutes to present their concept. And, uh, and we'll get to ask questions. And, um, and fortunately, the technology has, has improved since even COVID started. And what, you know, we're used to these typical Zoom meetings with a bunch of boxes on the screen is going to be transformed into what will look like an actual television set. And there are companies now that provide the ability to produce these things so that multiple people can come together and it looks more like an actual event. Um, You know, think about, you know, if you were to look at, you know, a news show or ESPN or something like that, where there's lots of different people interacting on the screen. And so we're hoping that we can capture, you know, some of the same energy and excitement that we had last year. Well, that does sound really exciting. And what is the plan? Do we have a plan for the the day that that's going to air, John? Well, the event will be in the main deal. Um, and then obviously that will be uh, available to a now, and again, one benefit of this, it will be yeah. available to a much broader audience. So anyone who's interested um, will be able to log in and, and, and see the event. Um, the one downside is they won't be able to try the product, but um, we will get a way to rate the, we'll figure out a way to rate the product and we may even do taste tests or whatever. I, I'm not sure yet, but uh, we'll find a way to try and at least get across that, um, that part of the experience. As well as also we will be catering out to the press uh, and other bloggers um, to participate as well. And obviously that's a big part of this is to make sure that it's being talked about uh, in the broader uh, media landscape. All right, well, that's all really exciting. Are there, are there any other details that you can share that maybe listeners should be aware of? Um, any kind of additional deadlines or anything people should be thinking about? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're really excited and, and there are some, some excellent opportunities. If there is anyone who knows of a, of a snack maker or someone with an excellent idea, we'd love to have them participate. Obviously, this is really open uh, across the U.S. Uh, they, they do have to make their product in California with milk from our, our California dairy farmers. The deadline for entry is the 28th of August. So if anyone is interested in in participating, they can go to our web portal and that's venturefuel.net forward slash snack accelerator. So venturefuel, one word, dot net forward slash S-N-A-C-K-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-O-R. Okay, well, as much as I, you know, as as much as we all love this project and the, the, the event last year was just awesome, just a really fun thing to be a part of. 
this is obviously not the only thing CMAB has been working on. I know you guys have had a lot of things happening um, during COVID and the shelter in place. Do you guys want to just spend a few minutes talking about what else is going on at CMAB that producers should know about or maybe can get involved with? You know, one thing um, I will I will say, and and I know again, Bob Carroll was on and he talked about this program, but right out of the blocks when the COVID thing hit, um, the the channels just got totally discombobulated in terms of being able to deliver and provide products. So that was that was like priority number one uh, was to fix those issues. So we again we got. A, a company that went out and merchandised in stores to make sure that um, we had product on the shelf, that we got rid of those uh, purchase limit signs, and and so that the product could be flowing uh, more freely. So that was that was really priority number one. But we also started to look at what can we do from a communications and messaging standpoint. And one of the programs that came out of that is an idea that we called Mornings Mean More. And one of the things that I think everybody can appreciate now with COVID is that we're spending a lot more time at home. Uh, we're eating more meals at home. Breakfast has all, all of a sudden, instead of a cup of coffee on the run on your way to work, has become actually a sit-down event again. Yeah. And fluid milk and cereal consumption are up. Even yogurt consumption is up um, again. So. What we're trying to do through uh, Mornings Mean More is reach out to our influencer community and talk about the value of a good breakfast and have them talk about, you know, what they had for breakfast and invite their followers to uh, share what they're having for breakfast. Because if we can get more people eating more breakfast, that naturally is going to help uh, the dairy category. So. And there are some other things that we're working on as well from uh, uh, an informational standpoint as well as from an advertising standpoint to, again, try and remind people of the, the sanctity of taking 10 minutes out, if that's all it is, for, for a good breakfast. And, you know, even if that's an extra 10 minutes of family time, um, you know, that's all a, a very good thing. So, again, there are some bright spots uh, around the COVID situation and, and getting the family together for breakfast again is, is one of those. I've definitely seen some of those uh, moments roll through my, through my social media news feeds and it's been really fun to see and fun to kind of see that shift in perspective and taking time to be with your family and hopefully include some really good dairy in your breakfast. And I love seeing influencers and people that aren't necessarily in our little sphere sharing that stuff as well. And that kind of as we start to wrap things up here a little bit, is there anything else you'd like to share with members or listeners? Hang in there. <laughs> <laughs> I you know, think that's are, good advice. Yeah. yeah. These are crazy times and, and they may get crazier. We don't know, but we just have to keep plugging and trying new things and, and it'll all, it'll all work out. Well, thanks so much again for being on. We really appreciate you and Jen as well. Yep. Well, big thanks again to Zach and all of our other guests, Annie, Anya, John Talbot, and Jennifer Giambroni today for joining us. 
Darby, a little bit of bad news. No question of the week this week. We had a, a pretty full episode, but we're going to continue that segment next week. We have a couple things in the queue, but just as a reminder, um, for anybody that has a question that they think that if it's addressed might benefit other dairy farmers, just remember to shoot it to us. We'd love to have it on the episode and a lot, there's, we always say no dumb questions, first of all, but a lot of your questions, um, you know, occur on other farms. And so I think we'd like to be able to share your questions and share the answers with our wider audience. And I think at this point, we're just really looking for someone to talk to. Melissa and I have been uh, <laughs> in isolation quite a while. So we're really excited to hear from our members and hoping they have some good questions. And as we kind of wrap things up again, we really want to thank Annie, Anya, Zach Cahill, John Talbot, and Jen Jambroni for joining us today for our episode. And thanks again to all our listeners and our members. Remember, you can always reach out to us with your questions, comments, content requests at wud.pod at gmail.com. That's wudpod at gmail.com. You can email either Darby or I. I'm M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And Darby? And I'm Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform, and have a great week, everybody. Bye, everyone. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the West United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors. Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.